Welcome to Podland, the last word in podcasting news. It's Friday, the 9th of September 2022. I'm James Cridland, the editor of Pod News. And I'm Sam Sethi, the managing director of River Radio, the podcast's first commercial radio station. Hey, my name is Rene Aaron, and I'll be on the show later to talk about Project Saturn and our new Lightning WordPress plugin. My name is Ian Forrester. I am the senior Firestar at BBC RD, and I'm going to be on later to talk about adaptive podcasting. They will. It's a strange time in the UK and the Commonwealth after the death of Queen Elizabeth II, but we are an international podcast, though, and sometimes it's good to keep calm and carry on. So that's what we're going to do today. Podland is sponsored by Squadcast, the remote recording tool that creators love. Squadcast has just launched version 5 with new features and a new look. 4,000 hours of high-quality audio is remotely recorded every week using Squadcast. And we're sponsored by Buzzsprout, podcast hosting made easy. Last week, over 3,000 people started a podcast with Buzzsprout. Now there's Buzzsprout ads to grow your podcast wherever it's hosted. Podlands, where Sam and I review the week's top podcasting stories covered on Pod News. We support both transcripts and chapters, so you can jump to the part of this podcast that interests you the most. If your podcast app doesn't support transcripts and chapters, then grab a new one from podnews.net forward slash new podcast apps. James, let's crack on with the news then. You've been away in sunny Malaysia, James. What were you doing and what did you learn? I have. I've been in smoggy Malaysia, but it was uh, very exciting. It was uh, Radio Days Asia. Uh, You might think Radio Days Asia and that name was just all about radio, but there was an awful lot of podcasts there as well. You you know, whether it was Mae Thomas from Indian podcast company Made in India, Ariel Nissenblatt, friend of the show, came over from uh, Squadcast in the US. Matthew Jirai, who runs a audio fiction podcast company in KL, he ended up uh, speaking. Also from KL, Norman Cheller from Podchaser, which was good to uh, chat with him. Uh, Lyndall Harris from Podcast VA was there, many others. We also learned about podcasts in China. There was somebody who was uh, speaking about their podcast that they do on one of the Chinese radio companies, and they were very excitedly pointing out that they are a top 2% podcast in the world, according to the Listen Notes website, which I thought was very good. I've not heard that before. But yes, loads of information. I think the highlight was the BBC Global News podcast was there. Both the presenter Jackie Leonard and producer Karen Martin uh, ended up uh, speaking there. They are massive, really large, 33 million downloads a month. And they even shared daily download data. And it just popped up on the screen. And I thought, look at that. So you could see how well, you know, it was all doing. It was a really interesting session of theirs. And then we ended up watching the Global News podcast getting recorded in front of a live audience. So a very clever thing and a really enjoyable day. So what did Ariel focus on, though? This was her first speech, wasn't it, outside the US? Yes, it was her first speech outside the US. She did pretty well the same conversation that she did around how to use social media to grow your podcast and grow your audio, which she ended up doing at Podcast Movement Evolutions earlier on this year. So she did that, but she was also on a couple of panels as well and did a very good job. Loads of really positive comments about uh, Ariel. I suspect that there may be a Radio Days Europe gig for her early next year in Prague. So that 
might be fun. But yeah, loads of positive comments. Quite a lot of folk from Acast were there. So I met Timmy, who runs Acast in Singapore, M- Megan Davis, who's their international managing director, Adam Utman, who also works for uh, Acast as well with the creators and everything else. So again, it was just a really interesting, fun conference in a fancy hotel in the middle of KL. And in terms of where America, Europe, Australia is with podcasting, where would you place the Far East? Yeah, I think quite a lot of Asia is still on catch-up at the moment. It depends which country you have a look at. The Philippines seems to be growing very well. We had Ron Beitiong, who of course has been on this particular show from Podcast Network Asia. He was talking about his experiences, as were Ishani from Idea Brew Studio in India, and they are seeing an awful lot of growth there. Significant growth in other languages. It's not English, really. English, yes, is growing, but many other other countries are growing far faster. And I think that's the exciting thing in so far as Asia is concerned. All of these countries just beginning to understand, oh, wow, there's a real opportunity here and piling in. So it was good from that point of view. Now, moving on. A couple of weeks ago, I caught up with a guy from BBC R&D. His name's Ian Forrester. He's known as the senior fire starter. Ian had approached us about a collaboration that they've been doing with the European Broadcasting Union to open source a platform to allow the production of something they've termed adaptive podcasts. James, what are adaptive podcasts? Yeah, this is pretty clever. This is part of a piece of work that BBC R&D have been doing actually for the last 10 years. It's all around object-orientated broadcasting and object-orientated audio. So instead of having one great big audio file, you have lots of little ones, and uh, your device ends up working out what to play out. So for example, content might change in response to you pressing buttons in your podcast app. They might respond to your phone knowing whether you're walking or whether you're running or whether it's cold, all of that kind of of information, but very private as well, because uh, that data need never leave your phone. So quite different to programmatic ads and stuff like that. But uh, such a clever system. And you caught up to learn a little bit more, didn't you? Yeah, I reached out to Ian and I asked him, first of all, what is adaptive podcasting? So I should really be better at this intro. I guess it's more like an ecosystem to be able to create podcasts which adapt and change based on the user or the podcast listener's data or sensors or what they're doing, you know, where they are, stuff like that. So it's more... You can do a podcast, but you can do things to the podcast in real time on the person's phone. So this is a podcast created on the fly dynamically using the user's local device, not server side, where you construct the podcast using the objects based on possibly the user's personalization, location, or other interactions that they may have. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. And I'm going to use that from now on. (laughs) Good. Now, why did you at the BBC come up with this project? What was the embryo of the idea? BBC R&D has been focused on object-based media for quite a while. We've been looking at what we could do in the production, how it can benefit production. But also people like myself were looking more at what could it mean for the end user? What could it mean for the audience? And so one of the things that we were looking at was you could choose your own adventure style kind of stuff. And that's been done a million times. But the thing I was most interested in actually was 
when it's doing the stuff on the fly without explicit interaction. So you are walking into an area and the podcast is changing its tone. The background music is changing because it's late. Those kind of things I find you know, more interesting than I want to choose this, I want to choose that. And I think that's the aim was to really give this stuff because I can think of millions of ideas, but what I really want is that I want to release it and I think people see R and D wants to release it to the world to see what everyone else does with it. Because what we will do with it and what I will do with it and what you will do with it and what the world will do with it will be all very different. Okay, so it's gonna be open source, it's gonna be free forever. And first of all then, where do I get hold of this new BBC app? Okay, so we made a choice because one of our aims is to put this in the hands of young people. And there was a choice made that actually the best way of doing that is to lower that barrier to entry. A £40 phone from places like Argos or Amazon or whoever can run this. And with the application, you can do everything. You don't need anything else. You just need a computer just to write the code or to draw the graph and the way to record the audio and that's it the actual app right now is on the google play store it's still beta and it it will be beta forever we're basically providing a kind of reference and specification that people can just go ahead and make their own stuff with so i've got my android phone i've got the app how does that integrate with good old rss so actually In the podcasting app, there's ability to enter in your own RSS feed. So you put in your own RSS feed, point to your server or to another server, and it will pull down all the podcasts in that RSS feed, the same as all podcasting clients. Or I say all good podcasting clients. Yeah, let's leave it at that. (laughs) Now, it's pulling down a zip file. That's right. Yeah. So the easiest way of doing this for us was, you know, you literally described it before. What you have is you have all of these objects, these audio objects, and they're all kind of cut up into little pieces, as little or as big as you want them to be. And then you have a kind of scripting language, which is if you've ever come across Real Player or QuickTime, it uses a thing called Smile, S-M-I-N-L, which is a W3 standard. So it's, it's an XML standard as well, yep. isn't it? So that's an open standard. Anyone can go do whatever they want with it. And that's what describes what to do to the object and when to do things to the objects. It's also, because it's very open, it also means you can go and write your own thing if you wanted to. You don't have to do it the way we've done it. The whole aim is to try and put it in the hands of people so they can just explore and, and play. Okay, so one of the products that has come out recently this year is from a company called Spooler.fm, James O. Boggs and his mates. This sounds very similar in many ways. What's the difference? So I had a little look at what they've done. And what they're doing is they're doing a lot of this kind of stuff on the server side. The point of what we're doing is we're not doing it server side. We're doing it completely on the phone. What's happened is that if you think about it, right, We used to download podcasts to your laptop or to your computer, then transfer it over a USB, you know, and then we, and then those devices started having Wi-Fi, download it straight to the device. But actually that device is a lot more powerful than to just download stuff. So what we started to do was actually rather than push all that power to the server side, which means that you have to give up all of this privacy and you have to give all this data. What we decided to do is that the device gets all of the objects, 
it gets an instruction set of what to do with it. And then based on variables and changes in your data or your sensors on your phone, that's when it changes. So the person who writes the podcast and then expects things to change doesn't know that it's changed, doesn't even care that it changes. Everyone gets a unique experience because of their phone and no one knows what the experience they got. That can be quite scary for some podcasters, but honestly, I think there's a number of podcasters who will really benefit and explore the possibilities of being able to do this. And also yeah. their audiences will be very thankful for them for taking that kind of privacy aware step. Now, it dawns on me that actually you're using RSS as a data transport layer rather than an audio transport layer, correct? Yes. And you're using it in what was its original native format? Yes. Okay, so given that, one of the things we just talked about was the ability within those objects to also have language localization based on the user. Tell me more. Yeah, so one of the sensors that actually our developer wrote for us after talking to an artist in Bristol, actually, she wanted it so that when, depending on what language you spoke, or what languages you're most comfortable with, if she had a soundtrack or that fitted that, then it would automatically switch to that. So if you are a native Urdu speaker and your phone's set to, to Urdu, then maybe you might actually prefer that it was in Urdu rather than English. And obviously, you still have to record the audio track for that or those audio objects. But there is the ability to do stuff like, and I only thought about this recently, was you could have some English and then switch into Urdu in some parts. And that's something that's quite interesting. So the ability to use parts of the English, parts of Urdu at any time is quite interesting because you're reusing objects, which is quite powerful. And then you could do other things with that as well. It makes me dawn on, given how much people are talking about video with YouTube and podcasting mm. right now, I mean, obviously, you could actually have another object format, which is an MPEG-4, couldn't you? Yes. There are other projects that the BBC and R&D are working on, which are very much about video. This is very much about, about podcasting and audio because it isn't necessarily because it's the format. It's because of the community. There is, in the video world, it tends to be people kind of hold this stuff tight to their chest. In the podcasting world, it's much more open. People are sharing. People are kind of like explaining how to do this, how to monetize this, or you should do this. This is the openness to my my numbers. And I think that attracts us a lot more to the podcasting world and the audio world because we don't know what these rules are, as I said. We don't know what works, what, what doesn't work. And so I'd rather have a community who are really kind of like, this is what works, that doesn't work. Yeah, we've done this a million times. So Smile itself was developed, as you said, decades ago. I mean, at least a decade ago, let's say, and it's a W3C standard. Why or how has it not been adopted broader than it has? At the very beginning, we looked for a format which could describe audio objects and video objects and all types of objects. And we looked around for a long, long while. And what we found is that lots of people are doing their own formats or just basically writing it directly into some kind of array or something like that. Smile is a lot more direct. It's like, you want this audio object to do this. 
and you want it to sit alongside this and you want this to play on top of that and it's a lot more direct and i felt that actually that was a lot more closer to when someone's editing audio they have an audio track and they're going right I want this over top of that. I want that to play only that long. That's the kind of thing that interested me about Smile. And I'll be honest, I think that Smile was built before its time. It can be very useful now, but because it's kind of an XML format, a lot of people are just ignoring it. A bit like some people and RSS, I'd say. And I think what's really funny, because you and I, sadly, are much older now, Ian. I've been <laughs> around that this industry. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm older than you then, let's put it that way. Yeah. We've been around when we've seen all of these formats and standards that were evolved in their embryonic days. And we saw things like microformats, we saw the XML stuff. I remember Smile when it first came out, and it stands for the Synchronized Multimedia... Integration Language. That's it. But RSS is having a resurgence podcasting is having a resurgence since dave jones and adam curry said look we'll build a namespace extension and suddenly new features and new functions have come to podcasting i'd love to see what dave jones thinks of using smile with rss to what was going through my head when I said it's using RSS as a data transport layer rather than an audio transport layer is that you could combine the two. There is no reason for you not to be able to use both elements of it and you smile on the client. So you could have new podcast apps that you smile with an existing RSS. It's just the data transport layer for pulling both the objects and any audio and somehow integrate it all into one enhanced user experience. Yeah, no, you know what? That's a very good idea. And to be fair, when I saw the RSS namespaces, I was kind of like, why don't we just add some of the stuff from Smile into the namespace? And then you could pretty much do all of it in the RSS without, you know, you can just pull stuff from here, 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 and then just describe what to do with it. And honestly, I think this is why we built this implementation. If we kind of literally said, look, we're going to use Smile to create podcasts. It's going to be amazing. And then here's the specification. People will be like, okay, that looks interesting. I'm not going to implement that because I don't know how it sounds. I don't know how it works. Mm. You've got to create the implementation. You've got to create something. And I think in what you just said, if that is true and it can work, I think it can work, then actually you just need a code base, which then other people can go, oh, you know what? I'm just going to, pop that into my rss podcast client so you can make this really easy and this is kind of what we're doing we're not trying to build the whole thing ourselves we're just going hey look here's the concept working why don't you put it into your client and then you because you can got control of all the subscriptions you know how to do recommendations you know how to do all this stuff yeah, why don't you do that instead? And that's kind of what we're aiming for. I mean, it won't take long. Someone very smart would just go, oh, you know what? There's no Apple version. I'm just going to take the code and I'm going to turn it into Apple code. And there we go. Set it for $1.99 on the App Store. Someone will also go, oh, let's just pull that. Let's take the smile part. And let's pull that into our player so it knows what to do with it. Ian, look, thank you so much. Does this project have a name? It's just called Adaptive Podcasting right now. By the time you listen to this, there will be a blog post up and 
it'll be on the BBC R&D site, bbc.co.uk/rd, and I'll be doing some talks in a few places, including Amsterdam and somewhere up north. Oh, they're gonna hate me for saying that. They're gonna hate <laughs> me for saying that. I'd, I'd, yeah. You can take the boy out of London, but you can't make oh, him a north. And then you'll be on the Google Play Store, so you'll be able to download it. And also, if you go to MakerBox, bbc.co.uk/makerbox you will be able to get access to the actual maker. And in the maker, there's a previewer, so you can actually start making some stuff, drag and drop, no coding, and then just drop your stuff in. And once again, like the app, everything happens on your device. It's all decentralized. It's not happening on our server. So once you use it, all that stuff that you put in, all that hard work is yours and not the BBC, because obviously if someone uploaded copies of the Beatles to BBC servers, that'll be a problem. So if you upload it to your own browser, that's your problem. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Ian Forrester, BBC Firestarter, thank you so much, mate. Where can they find you on social media, on Twitter? Oh, so I'm going to use my Twitter, which is at Cubic Garden. Also, if you use Macedon, it's cubicgarden at mas.to. But yeah, just look for Cubic Garden and you'll find me all over the place. Also my blog, which is cubicgarden.com. Thank you. Hey, pleasure, mate. Good to see you. Thank you. Ian Forrester from the BBC. We recorded that interview last week. James, I can't use the platform that Ian's launched because it's Android only. I did ask him whether he was going to launch it as a progressive web app and they did consider it. I know you've been in Radio Days Asia, but did you get a chance to download the app at all? Yeah, I haven't played with it yet, but I think what's fascinating as you talked to him about that is that they're using Smile. Now, Smile, it's an XML standard. It's part of the W3C standards. And I remember using Smile all the way back when I was uh, working at Virgin Radio doing radio streaming. We ended up using a Smile XML document to do quite a lot of that so that you could do some quite additional interactive stuff. So really positive, I think, to see the BBC not just sort of reinventing something that already exists, but actually using a technology that has existed 20 years or so. So from that point of view, it will be interesting playing with that. My suspicion is that this would work with the alternate enclosures as well. So that you'd have a backwards compatible service that if you're not using one of these adaptive podcast apps, then it will just play a dumb piece of audio, if you like. Um, But if you've got an adaptive one, then it will download all of the bits and stitch it together on your end. So I think it could probably fit quite nicely with the podcasting 2.0 namespace conversations as well. I wonder whether this would work with something that James O. Boggs has been working on his new platform because that's Mm. server-side dynamic RSS and this is client-side dynamic RSS. I don't know whether they would consider using Smile. What's your thoughts? Yeah, they could. It would certainly fix some of the potential issues that you have with automated downloads because obviously automated downloads breaks some of that interactivity. So yeah, it could well be a thing for a spooler, could well be a thing for other similar services as well. I think probably the secret is that you might have to report back um, in terms of which bits were actually played and there may be privacy issues there. But uh, yeah, I mean, anything that allows you to be a little bit cleverer and obviously on the other side, it might mean that some podcasts you could do different audio compression for depending on whether or not you were on a 
on a train or in a very quiet room. So I think you could do some really interesting things with this. And it's good to see continued work from the BBC in terms of this adaptive podcasting and the adaptive radio stuff that they've been doing in the past. Now, moving on, is podcast search broken? Justin Jackson took a tweet from Sounds Profitable's Brian Barletta as his inspiration to test the search facilities in podcast apps. According to Justin, when it comes to surfacing relevant episode show notes, this notes was the best engine he tested. But James, did you go and have a look at what Justin had written? Yeah, Justin has gone through a bunch of these things, searching for particular show notes and stuff like that. It's surprising to me how few podcast apps actually search the show notes for a particular podcast. And by show notes, I mean episode notes, the notes that actually appear next to each individual podcaster episode. Only 4.3% of podcast listeners use an app that searches the descriptions on episodes, according to data that I looked at last year. And I think that does show that there's a real opportunity there of just grabbing that information, indexing it, and making that appear in podcast apps. And that's why Listen Notes ended up quite highly, I think, because Listen Notes is having a look at the the, the uh, individual show notes. But the big ones, Spotify, Apple, Google, none of those actually search the uh, show notes at all. Yeah, I'm quite surprised, actually, at how poor podcast search is, because in a project I was working on last year, I actually wrote a search engine that used the podcast index namespace. So we mm. used filters for person, location, category, keywords, explicit, and there was going to be more that we were going to add. That took less than a week to write. I mean, it isn't that hard. Um, yeah. I'm quite surprised that people haven't done more with it. Maybe watch this space, I guess. Somebody might now start to uh, do it. Because I think for discoverability across the industry, which, again, is one of the key things we all keep talking about, is yeah. how do you discover my podcast? Well, maybe it's time for a Google podcast search engine with the namespace filters. That would be pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, I mean, that would be really good. And of course, there's a chicken and egg thing of trying to convince even more podcast hosts to support those particular namespace tags. But certainly, I think that there's real opportunity there. Let me just correct something. I said the Google Podcasts didn't search through the individual show notes. Google Podcasts actually does alongside good pods, but it's the larger ones like Apple and Overcast and Spotify that don't. And that seems to me just a real way wasted opportunity. Given that all of that information is there, why the, the big boys aren't actually having a look at that information, which is available right now, I really don't know. Well, given when you interviewed Michael Magnano and he hadn't really heard of the podcast namespace, it, it doesn't surprise me that others within larger organisations probably haven't heard about it either and well, don't indeed. see the issue or opportunity. Indeed. Or, of course, mm. some people actually talking about it and saying how useless it is, uh, as I've heard from some large um, podcast companies as well. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a shame that they're not grasping that opportunity as soon as they can. Now, one of the technologies within the namespace is something called the value tag. And that is something that Dave Jones and Adam Curry have called value for value, the way to use a micropayment system to pay creators for their content 
by rewarding them with satoshis or sats. Now, the guys in Olby have been doing some great work in making that much simpler. The complexity has always failed simplicity. Well, they're making it much simpler for many content creators to create their custodial digital wallet and actually start to use this technology. This week, I caught up with Rene Aron, who's one of the developers over at Olby. They've been working on a new dashboard. James, you've got an Olby account, haven't you? Do you find mm. it easy to use, and have you looked at your dashboard? I looked at my dashboard this afternoon, in fact, and I thought, wow, this looks really cool. It's basically... An equivalent to Helipad. It's got a live view in there. It's got tons of information there in terms of how much money you're getting coming in from certain episodes and who's sending them to you and all of that kind of stuff. So it's really good. So yes, I was particularly impressed. You can go and test this if you'd like yourself, if you've got an Olby wallet at Saturn dot fly dot dev they've created a test site for now and they're seeking feedback but the nice thing was i caught up with Rene Aron to talk more about this dashboard and also to ask him about the new wordpress plugin they've created to allow wordpress owners with blogs let's say to create a paywall and release content only when the consumer uses sats to make a payment so i asked Rene first of all What's the new dashboard about? So Albi is multiple things, I would say. On the one hand, you have the extension. So if you're a user and you want to spend some sets for your favorite creators online, Albi is a way for you to connect your own node or use a custodial Albi account for you to spend Satoshis on the web. So this is the extension part. But on the other hand, as I said, there are also those uh, Albi accounts available and they are a very easy option to get started with this whole value for value thing or if you want to receive payments online. Obviously, it's a browser plugin for Chrome and Safari. Chrome, Safari, Firefox, Brave. So once you've installed that plugin, you can and send or receive Satoshi payments. What I liked when I set up my account, my wallet, was I've got sam at getolby.com and I can now receive those payments into my digital wallet. But equally from Olby, you support other wallets as well. So you can integrate multiple wallets. Is that true? Yeah, in the extension, you have different possibilities. You can connect your own node. You can connect an LNBits instance. You can connect your Umbrella node at home. So there are multiple options available. Yeah. Brilliant. Now, the one thing that I have in my current account is... A dashboard and my dashboard itself shows me what payments I've got. So some could be one-off payments and others are streaming payments. But what's very challenging is to know who sent it, for what episode, what was the purpose of the payment. So you've got a project called Saturn currently. Tell me more about Saturn and what problem it's fixing. I think you pretty much described the problem we are trying to address with this project. So Saturn came out of a recent hackathon we did at Albi and the challenge we wanted to tackle was that currently you just have this flat list of payments. If there are stream payments in your podcast, you will be probably overwhelmed by the amount of payments you get there. And so we figured there must be 
a better way to better make this data accessible to people, to make sense out of all the data. Because currently with value for value payments on podcasting 2.0, you have quite some data in those payments. You not only know who paid you, but only at which timestamp of your episode, for instance. And you can make use of this data very much, as well as see where your listeners really are listening to your podcasts. Okay, so the first thing is I'm looking at the dashboard now, and I can see, as I said, my top contributors. I can see which episodes are the ones that have been rewarded the most with sats total number of payments this is great and i can also see what top apps in my case it's castomatic and also it's dave jones who's paid me the most so thank you both are there any other plans with this dashboard in mind are there any other features and functions you're, you're working on right now currently we will release this as a very early prototype maybe also as a showcase of what is actually possible with this data this might even inspire some other ideas so currently there are no plans but we are happy to get your feedback uh, on that so if you already have uh, an albi account just connect it in there and uh, see for yourself we're happy to hear your thoughts on that. the url if you're if you want to have a play with it is saturn.fly fly.dev and it'll step you through connecting your current albi account and wallet to the beta dashboard now in terms of feedback where would they give feedback so we have a feedback board on feedback.getalbi.com and you can simply add your ideas in there and other users can also vote for them you can add it in there yeah so this is currently in beta is there a time frame when you think you might make this part of the current albi wallet so replacing the current dashboard uh not really no so this should be considered as an experiment it's an early prototype and if we see people like it and there is some interest we will consider um, putting more effort into it but there are currently no plans okay will there be api access for developers to integrate it if they want this type of functionality into their existing platform There are quite some options available on this front as well. So currently there is an OAuth API available, so you can use it with existing tools. Integration should be fairly easy. And by using this API, you can give your users on your platform a GetAlbi account, basically, and do transactions or receive transactions in their name. That's also the kind of integration that is in place right now on Saturn. So you just connect your account, you authorize some permissions, and you're good to go. So what we're looking for is more hosts to support the value tag, integrate like rss.com as seamless account creation for your wallet and then use this new api and dashboard to provide creators with more information about who's paying them when they're paying them and why they're paying them i have that in the show notes a link to saturn you've also been very busy over there with albi you've just released a wordpress plugin tell me more renee 
So the WordPress plugin Lightning Publisher allows site owners to charge for their content. So if you have a blog, let's say, you can install this WordPress plugin on your server and you'll uh, add some node connection to it. So you can either choose to use your own node or connect Allen Bits or BTC Pay Server or your Albi account. And that allows you to charge for articles. So you can offer some free sample, let's say, and somewhere down in the article, you prompt the user to pay a dollar to read on. But there are also other options available to allow you to time-based unlocks, which means you can do pre-releases. Let's say two weeks, this article is only for paid subscribers, but after that, it will be available for free. And this plugin manages everything for you. You just need to install it, configure it, and you can start charging Bitcoin for your articles. So where would I get this plugin from? That's actually a good question. The best way to find this plugin is probably by going to the WordPress plugin directory and searching for Bitcoin Lightning Publisher and you will find an Albi plugin in there with all the details about the plugin. Again, I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. Rene, thank you so much. Congratulations with the dashboard, Project Saturn. I hope that then gets pushed into production and uh, I'll be testing the WordPress plugin as well. well. That sounds like a great little add-on as well. So thank you for both. Thanks for having me, Sam. Rene from Albi, and I've been listening to the way that Adam Curry does boostergrams and stuff like that. And basically, he just puts 1% into his home role so that he's got access to the boostergrams on his own helipad. And I thought, right, well, why don't I put 1% towards my Albi account so that I've got access to the Albi dashboard? So that's what I've done from both the Pod News Daily podcast and this weekly podcast. When you uh, give us a boostergram, as I'm sure that you will, uh, then then uh, 1% of that will go to Albi and I'll be able to use it in there as well. So I'm quite looking forward to giving it a run and seeing how it works. That's very clever. Now, talking of clever stuff, let's move on to more tech stuff for now. August platform data from Buzzsprout, a podcast hosting company who sponsor us, shows a drop for the share of Spotify plays on its podcast. It's down from a 28% to 27%. Total downloads for all of Buzzsprout are up, though, however, 10% month on month and up 50% year on year. This is all the data from a very clever guy who's a friend of the show, John Spurlock. What does it all mean, though, James? Is Buzzsprout growing or is Spotify shrinking? Yeah, so Buzzsprout is absolutely growing. The total amounts of downloads on Buzzsprout up 50% year on year. It must be their sponsorship of this podcast. I mean, it can't be anything else. It must be just that. So what excellent value we are. But I think it's interesting. I am seeing drops for the large podcast players, both Spotify, but also there's comparative drops for Apple as well. If you look long term at this, my suspicion is that actually we are seeing people using other apps, using new podcast apps and using different podcast apps. Perhaps that being driven a bit by the new podcast namespace. I don't know, but that's quite interesting because I think that does mean that people are trying out different podcast apps and seeing whether they can find podcast apps out there that are better for them. 
it's, it's a conversation I had with Dave Jones last Christmas. I would love to start to refer to Apple and Spotify as legacy platforms. I think, I, I just do. I think as an industry, and, and again, I'm sure there's going to be eyes rolling. Mm. I think we need to differentiate clearly that the new podcast namespace is very different to what Apple and Spotify are using. And maybe one way is to start to put them in a different bucket because yeah, consumers I, won't know otherwise. No, I agree. And I think one thing that would be really interesting for us to do as an industry is for us to look at a proper, really good podcast app, which has great user interfaces we would want, supports all of the new podcast index tags, is a good reference design, but works well, and try and convince our podcasters to promote that rather than Apple and Spotify. Not pull off Apple and Spotify, that would be obviously a madness right now, but to by default say you should be having a listen on this app because it allows so much more. But yeah, I think it would be a good thing to sort of reevaluate the apps that we are driving people to. And I'm not necessarily sure that the current group of new podcast apps that we have are super brilliant in terms of user interface. And I'm sure that all of them would probably agree with that. But I think if we carry on working on those, make them as good as we possibly can, then I think that would be fantastic. Talking about UI was the iOS 16 UI with the, I think they'd call it the dynamic pill or something. Yes, um, yes. Where they're basically trying to hide that ugly thing at the top of the screen. Yeah, I mean, it's a clever affordance, isn't it, to hide that particular ugly thing where the cameras go. But yes, so iOS 16 comes out next Monday. It also includes a number of updates to Apple Podcasts as well. And it also supports new support for a user agent in Apple Core Media as well. And if you're a developer, then you should most definitely be having a look at that. I'll tell you one thing that I'm very excited about iOS 16. When you are looking at the podcast that you're listening to on the lock screen, uh, the image is now much, much bigger and it shows the embedded chapter images as well. So if you're embedding images in, it only supports the ID3 tag versions, but if you're embedding images into your audio files, then you will see that on the lock screen while you're playing a particular podcast, which is pretty good, and they're very large too. So that, I think, will give more people an understanding of why chapters are a good thing and why we should be focusing on those. And I think that's well worth having a look at. Yeah, I fully agree. The other tech that I'm very excited about within this new release is something called Passkey, which, again, may be the end of passwords. Uh, it's mm. using the technology to allow Face ID or Touch ID to work on websites. And it, again, isn't just this time limited to the Apple ecosystem. It actually is a standard. It's called FIDO. It's a W3C standard. That oh, okay. So they're using FIDO, are they? And, they? and that's web authentication, I think, isn't it? So Yeah. Yeah, because I've got a physical key that enables me to do that. And I've yet to find anybody that actually supports web authentication yet. <laughs> so it'd be nice if they did. But, you know, a, a physical key for two-factor authentication is a really important thing. And if Apple's going one step further and doing passwordless uh, login, then that makes life even more exciting. So that's very cool. I shall have to have a look into that and see if I can get that implemented. 
Now, moving on, one of the companies that have been doing a lot of work in moving forward the podcast namespace in terms of implementing it is a company called Podverse. And this week, they launched searchable transcripts. So again, a really clever little use of their UI. So now you can go and find a transcript and look through it and find keywords. Yeah, it's a very cool thing and well worth having a look at. And if you just find this very podcast, because we have transcripts for this show, so worthwhile having a look at it for that in the Podverse web app, which is podverse.fm. And talking about web apps, I'm not sure I would ever use it, but nevertheless, it's there. An app called Wavy with two Vs, W-A-V-V-Y dot app. If you visit that on your web browser, it's basically Audacity. Somebody has taken the dreadful user interface of Audacity, and they've made something that works identically in the web player and seems to work fantastically well. So yeah, if you like Audacity, but you would rather use it on your iPad or use it on somewhere where you can't install your own software, well, knock yourself out because now you can. Wavy.app. I've got no idea how they've ended up doing this and also no idea how it's going to earn them any money. But nevertheless, it's a pretty cool thing. Yeah. Now, Buzzsprout has just added the ability to view stats from a custom date range. So if you wanted to see how many downloads you've had between a certain period of time, you can now do that in your digital dashboard. You can, which is really good. Buzzsprout always working on new and interesting ideas there. So it's nice to see them. And of course, they sponsor us too. Talking about audio editors, as I was just then, Eddie, which is Headliner's audio editor, has been updated. It now detects ums, ahs, and other filler words very well. And there's another online audio editor called Treble. Treble has done a pivot and they've moved to producing this online audio editor. It's much like Descript. It's much like Eddie. It allows you to edit audios if it's a word processor. It works in your browser. It removes filler words. It exports audio to your podcast hosting company, all of that kind of stuff. But it's really good now having a set of competitors in this space, Eddie, Descript, and now Treble. When you've got competitors, normally that means that everybody tries a little bit harder. So pretty cool to end up seeing that. Now, as I said, I don't know when you do it, but you do. You've been busy updating the Pod News podcast pages to support the person tag. So tell me more, James. Yep. So we now support the podcast person tag. So if you use Buzzsprout, for example, which supports it alongside other podcast hosting companies like Fireside or Sounder, then uh, the Pod News podcast pages will automatically highlight the hosts. We don't highlight guests because that's not what we're there for, but we will highlight who hosts that particular podcast straight out of your RSS feed rather than taking it from Podchaser where we were. That means that you're in control like it kind of should be. And the podcast person tag is also supported in places like Podcast Guru, Podcast Addict and other podcast apps as well. So Pod News podcast pages support that. But what we also support as of this week is we also support blended ratings scores. So a company called Refonic has all of your ratings scores from places like Apple Podcasts and Podchaser and Podcast Addict and actually a few more as well. What I'm now doing is I'm blending those and giving an overall score just as a little bit of fun and linking through to Refonic where you can learn a little bit more 
That is for, in inverted commas, selected podcasts only because I've got a limit on the API calls that I can make per month. <laughs> so so that limit will run out at some point. But it's a really cool, smart thing. And it's really nice to see popular podcasts like The Daily, for example. And you go and, uh, and have a look at that page. And The Daily has 108,000 ratings across those three places and has a rating of 4.6, If in case you're wondering. So quite fun to pull all of those in together. And uh, my suspicion is that Rephonic will also be pulling in the ratings from Spotify as well in the near future too. Nice. Very cool. Moving on then around Podland, let's have a look at around the world. In Germany, Axel Springer Audio and Radio FFN have launched a radio station called Stories.fm, which plays a mix of podcasts and current music. Yes, that's what everybody needs, isn't it? Podcasts and current music. Not quite sure what the use case is there, but nevertheless, it's fun to see podcasts making it onto the radio in another country. Of course, you can listen to podcast radio and occasionally I will pop up and tell you the latest news from Pod News on there as well. But good to see that coming out of Germany. In Canada, there's a new podcast newsletter, which is called Pod the North. It's run by Katie Law and it aims to put Canadian podcasts on the map. It's just launched. And certainly when you have a look into Canadian podcast consumption, there's an awful lot of US podcasts that get consumed there. Hardly surprisingly, because you're very close to the US border. That's where most of Canada lives. But it will be really nice to see a little bit more focus on the Canadian podcast world. So looking forward to the first few newsletters of Pod the North as it launches. Indeed. Now, in France, Radio France podcasts will be available on Amazon Music after an agreement was signed between the two companies. Like other third-party platforms, Amazon Music gets daily shows from Radio France for seven days and weekly shows for 30 days before they become exclusives in the Radio France app. Is this a distribution deal that Radio France is getting, basically? Yeah, it is, basically. And it's what Radio France has done. And I think they've done this the right way round. They make all of their shows available everywhere for a limited time. And then once they get into the archive, then they are exclusive to their own app. If you compare that with the BBC, for example, they're doing it the other way around. So they have a news quiz, which is available as an exclusive within the BBC Sounds app for the first month and then it becomes available everywhere else, which for a topical news quiz is balmy. But uh, that's the way that the BBC have uh, done it. I think Radio France is doing things absolutely rightly. Make it available everywhere. Make sure that you um, introduce your programming to new people. And after you've done that, then keep the archive, which is where the real fans will enjoy stuff within your own app. So bravo, as I believe that they say in France. I think that's a clever plan. And uh, it's always good looking at different ideas from different countries. In Japan, I bumped into Otonal, which is a Japanese ad tech company. They were at Radio Days Asia, and they came up to me and they didn't speak much English. I don't speak any Japanese apart from one Japanese phrase, you've got a big bottom, which I don't think is particularly useful. And I didn't try it. But they were showing me the fact that they have done some really good research around Japanese podcast listening, which they did with Asahi, the beer company, earlier on in the year. Um, What I 
found fascinating about that, and I, I linked to it in Pod News earlier on this week, Spotify is the most used platform. Yes, okay. Apple Podcasts at number two. Yes, fine. And Amazon Music at number three. Amazon Music's nowhere in most of these countries, but it's at number three in Japan because I think it was one of the first countries that Amazon Music launched, and they clearly had a home run there. So really interesting seeing Amazon Music being the third biggest podcast app in Japan, but all of that research is available. So yeah, it's a good read. Yeah, pop artists always used to say in the day, I'm big in Japan and no one could ever check. So that was always (laughs) the thing. Well, now we can, of course. Now we can. Now, in other news, we talked about him earlier, Michael Mignano. He put out a blog post earlier this week that all podcast roads lead to video. This notion, he said, will likely irk some readers. I think Michael Mignano, perhaps he's just started working for a VC company and perhaps one of the companies he's working on is doing something with video and podcasts. But I think predominantly the point of a podcast is something for your ears when your eyes are busy. And uh, it doesn't seem to make an awful lot of sense to be just looking at video all the time. So uh, yeah, I'm not sure I believe as well. I think it's probably just a bit wrong. But we will wait and see. Interestingly, he he, uh, was publishing all of his stuff on Medium. And he now appears to have moved over to uh, Substack and is doing a newsletter over there. So uh, I've followed him and doubtless we will hang on his every word whenever he posts something new now oscar mary over at fountain has added new charts to the app and added a number of additional features but there is a new version available to download the charts again we talked about it last week yeah it just makes it very nice to see who's getting paid the most sats who's ranked number one charts and leaderboards have always been a thing that people like to look at i know you don't feel that the apple charts should be called charts but they certainly drive people to go and click through the top tens very quickly Yeah, no, indeed. So uh, fun to end up seeing that. One thing that came up in my notes, and I thought I'd just mention it, is LibSync 5 will be updating to IAB stats from its current LibSync unique numbers. Will that change anything, though, for user numbers, James? Yes, it does, because the old LibSync legacy unique numbers that they used to have weren't worked out through the IAB standard and just basically got things wrong. And they particularly got things wrong with uh, Facebook podcasting, for example, which seemed to download in a slightly weird way and made uh, the folks at Libsyn say all kinds of things about uh, how brilliant Facebook was when in reality... Uh, those downloads weren't actually real uh, downloads. So I think it will make a bit of a change. This is news to me, I have to say. It's always fun doing this podcast because occasionally there's news in here that I haven't even seen. So does that mean that the Libsyn unique numbers are going away or that they're just going to be hidden behind the tab? All it said was Libsyn 5 will update to IAB stats from the current Libsyn unique numbers. That was my update notice notification. So read it as you will, I guess. We'll see whether that's a tab that remains or goes away. Yeah, because the way that Libsyn was doing, and they were the only podcast host that were doing this, is that they were only offering IAB stats 
to people who were paying more than $20. But by the sounds of it, it's a tweet that Lebsin have sent out that basically your default view is going to be new proper IB stats. So I wonder whether that means that everybody gets the new IB stats numbers and what that means. Will some people now downgrade because they don't necessarily have to worry about that sort of thing? I don't know. But yeah, it's interesting. I've not heard any more information from them, but I will go diving and find out more. Now, friend of the show, Sky Pillsbury, in her newsletter, The Squeeze, posts an interesting question. What does big money podcasting look like? Now, she, if you go and have a look at the post that she's written in her newsletter has got all of the facial images of all of the big companies from Acast through to Amazon through to Spotify. No surprise. It's all old white men, isn't it? Yeah, the (laughs) lack of diversity at the top of big podcasting is no surprise. Well, yes, indeed, indeed. Talking about uh, podcast hosts, SoundCloud, which is the only podcast host that I've come out and said, don't host with SoundCloud. Friends don't let friends host with SoundCloud. Guess what? Podcast hosted on SoundCloud have for the last week not actually been working on Apple and Google. And uh, I suspect possibly rather more than that. Quite a few podcasters have reported the issue. It seems to be some sort of weird script that they're running on a redirect which essentially breaks every single RSS feed it's a complete mess but because SoundCloud is really a music hosting service they don't care too much so it seems to be a bit of a mistake from their side but I'm aware of a number of daily podcasters who have been forced to end up moving uh, because SoundCloud has just basically broken so SoundCloud is used by an awful lot of people because it's free although you can actually pay to get some more features but you know as I've pretty well consistently said friends don't let friends host on soundcloud anyway so move anywhere i would recommend buzzsprout don't stick on soundcloud moving on it's our favorite time of the week it's time for boostergram corner boostergram corner oh yes it is and uh, we've got three boostergrams here one from dave jones a big rush boost r.i.p sam's backyard it will never be the same again this was after your daughter's 18th birthday party i saw a couple of pictures on your facebook of your massive great big tent in the back garden and everything else how did all of that go it went down swimmingly, actually, the oh, Bedouin good. tent as it was. The, we did have 80-plus teenagers. There was the obligatory person in the bush throwing up and uh, a couple of other things, but nothing major. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm quite happy. The key, though, James, because I know you're going to have to do this in a few years' time yourself, yeah. is the portaloos. Just get portaloos. Yes, yes. Well, yes. Unfortunately, in I live on the side of a hill and it literally is on the side of a hill, which is very good when it rains because all of the water goes away. But if you want to get anything into the garden, then basically you have to lower it down <laughs> probably about 30 feet. So it's, right. yes, that's probably not going to happen. But uh, yes, I will be taking notes for 10 years time, nine years time <laughs> when my daughter hits 18. Oh my goodness, it's eight years time. That's a scary thought. Anyway, thank you, Dave, for that. Much appreciated. Moritz from Albie says, thanks for testing and using Saturn. Your feedback is super helpful. Thank you. Thank you for sending us 2,100 sats. That's kind of you. And Mint Lion. 
500 sats using Breeze, boosting De Niro so James can have more meetings. I think the insinuation there is that the meetings that I've been having at Podcast Movement and indeed at Radio Days Asia have been also accompanied by lots of beer. And that may or may not be correct. I couldn't possibly comment, but nevertheless, um, it's uh, useful uh, to get uh, a little bit more. Uh, so Mint Lion, thank you very much for your, uh, your fraction of a pint, uh, which I look forward to saving up and eventually drinking uh that's uh, kind of you excellent now moving on to event corner very quickly podcast a24 is the big one though it's on october the 4th it's in three different places it's in london in sydney and in new york it's uh, very well worth coming to i can tell you an exclusive that they haven't yet announced which is that tony and ryan who you'll remember are spotify's big new signings in australia they have just confirmed for podcast a24 in sydney on october the 4th they'll be interviewed by Prithi Day, who works for Spotify. And if you would like to get a sizable discount, then there is a discount code which is in our show notes and also in the Pod News newsletter. So you should use that and tell everybody that you're going as well. Indeed. And finally, the Irish Podcast Awards will take place on Friday, the 16th of September in Dublin's Liberty Hall. Tickets are on sale now. Indeed. The one area I just wanted to cover very quickly was tips and tricks. Two reports that came out that I thought were fun to read. We'll put them in the show notes. One was How to Pretend Your Podcast is a Hit by Nick Hilton. It's not a serious post, but it's a bit of fun to read. He covers gaming the charts, fudging the numbers, and entering nonsense awards. He said, all to claim your show is in the top 1% of global shows, which I thought was very funny from when you mentioned earlier somebody <laughs> telling us they were in the top 2%, thanks to listeners notes yes it's always fun to see that so what's happening for you this week in podland sam i'm imagining lots of soothing classical music on your radio station you must have the week off do you have any, anything else planned well <laughs> seriously just recovering from my daughter's 18th we didn't go to bed till three in the morning so that was absolutely knackering eight hours set up four hours clean up yeah i still need this week to recover at my age and talking of age happy birthday to adam curry it was his birthday this week he's 50 58 so yeah yeah 58 wow happy birthday adam curry the pod Sorry, father can I, can I clarify is that 58 because you thought it was older or younger no i thought it was younger i thought it was younger oh, right. than that. well there, there you go. go so yes happy birthday and thank you for inventing this whole thing that's good of you and yes what are you up to in. james Oh, what am I up to? I mean, I'm recovering from Malaysia, as you can hear. I think I had three hours sleep last night on the plane. So it's always nice and just sort of basically doing a little bit of that and looking forward to going out, doing the supermarket shopping. I know, rock and roll. And that's it for this week. If you like this episode of Podland, please do tell others to visit. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts in your favourite podcast app and in Spotify. We'll be back next week. Indeed. Also, you'll find all our previous shows and interviews on our website at podland.news. You can give us feedback using a Boostergram. And if your podcast app doesn't support boosts, then grab a new one from podnews.net forward slash new podcast apps. Yes, and if you want daily news, you should get Pod News. The newsletter's free at podnews.net. The podcast can be found in your podcast app or smart speaker. And all the stories we've discussed on Podland today are in our show notes. And we use chapters and transcripts too. Our music is from Studio Dragonfly. It is, and we're hosted and sponsored by our good friends Buzzsprout and Squadcast. Keep listening. 